today is from 1 Samuel chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness and in Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat rocks. And he came to the sheepfold by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in it to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to everyone this morning. It's great to see some family and friends, some guests among us to celebrate baptisms, and it's great to celebrate together on this Pentecost Sunday. Thank you, music team, for guiding us in worship. Thank you, Paula, for reading our scripture. And my name's Mike Stroh. I'm one of the other Pastor Mike, and on that note, I think it would be a lot easier if Sten just renamed himself Mike. Could we? <laughs> that would make things a lot easier. That's just a suggestion, so just for what it's worth. But uh, 1 Samuel 24, if you have a Bible in front of you, that text is also on our website's bulletin page, 1 Samuel 24. Now, if you've seen a movie ever in your life, and I'm guessing most of us have, chances are you've seen a particular scene play out. It's where the hero spares the life of the villain. Usually at the end, in the, after some climactic battle, the hero has, is victorious, but then they spare the life of the villain. And it happens so often, it's fairly predictable. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. Uh, the hero decides at that crucial moment not to stoop to the level of the villain. Maybe they have every reason to take revenge, but they show mercy. Maybe the hero has wanted revenge so badly, it seems like at that moment they might give in to their anger and their hate, and they might take vengeance, but their change of heart shows their growth as a character. We continue our series this morning in the life of David. We're calling Pursuing God's Heart. And we pick up in the story with David. He's on the run from Saul. He's been on the run for a little while. Saul's trying to kill David. Saul has tried to kill him already more than a few times. And so when given the chance, we might expect David to return the favor. Now in our passage this morning, David is given this chance to take the life of Saul, but he shows mercy instead. 
It's a, it's a strange story. It's a surprising part of, of David's life here. We'll see another glimpse of David's heart. And we can learn from him what it looks like for us even to let God deal with our enemies, to let God handle it rather than taking matters into our own hands. So let's pray together as we turn to this passage. Father, we're so grateful for another Sunday to worship you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, especially on this Pentecost Sunday. We thank you for your presence here among us through your Spirit. And so through your Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to the truth of this passage, the truth in this story, as we remember not only David and his heart, but ultimately your heart that we're seeking after. And so bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and take a look at 1 Samuel 24, uh, starting in verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. So if you've been tracking the story a little bit, uh, Saul is temporarily distracted from his hunt for David by going off and fighting some Philistines. When that's done, he's told, hey, David is over here. And so he gets 3,000 men to go with him to hunt David this time. He doesn't want David to escape his grasp again. And so just to be safe, he takes 3,000 of, be- of his best men from all over the nation. Remember, David's a great warrior. He's the one who defeated Goliath after all. And so Saul wants to be careful. He wants to be sure. So they head off to this rocky area near the Dead Sea. Now, he's heard David is somewhere around here. David has about, we find out in the previous chapter, David has about 600 of his own men with him. But even with all those men, it wouldn't be necessarily that easy to find somebody in this area. There's lots of hiding places. Look at verse 3. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. I love how the writer just sort of casually delivers the facts here. This is is wild. Along the way, as they're they're marching through this area looking for David, Saul says, time out, guys, I got to use the, the bathroom. So he picks this random cave to relieve himself. It says some translations say he went in to cover his feet. That's literally the Hebrew, to cover his feet. That's a euphemism for using the facilities. Okay, nature calls. Of all the caves that Saul could have picked, he happens to pick the cave where David and all his men are hiding. Coincidence, right? No. God has a sense of humor. This is the only time that Saul in this in this scene, would have been separated from all his men, from his guards, from his top soldiers, is when he goes in to use the bathroom. And that's the time that he accidentally and totally unknowingly runs into David. And again, David has about 600 men with him, so not a small number. They're definitely outnumbered, but it's not a small number. It must be a really big cave. It says they're hiding in the innermost parts of the cave. So they're hanging out, David and his men, they're, they're preparing They're strategizing how they might get the upper hand, how they might get the advantage over Saul. And then they hear a sound. They hear someone come in the cave, a single person. Maybe they see the kind of the silhouette come in through the opening of the cave. And this person comes in to relieve himself in the cave. 
They see him, he doesn't see them, and they're just sort of watching. They look at each other. Kind of can't believe that this is happening. Verse 4, And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So some of David's men come around, and I imagine they're whispering. Saul's still in the cave after all, so some of David's men are up to me, Hey, hey, David, this is your big chance. We've been running. Saul's trying to kill you. You're God's man. We already know that. You've been anointed as the next king of Israel. Clearly, God has set this up, right? Clearly, this is God's will. Go get it done. We need to be careful sometimes when we look for signs. God is always at work. God is always at work in our lives, but we need to avoid the temptation of thinking we have God's will all figured out. We know exactly what God is doing. David happened to know something very important about his own future. He knew from God that he would be the next king of Israel. It's more than most of us know about our future. He knew that. So somehow, Saul would have to be taken off the board for this to happen, for God's plan to take place, right? But David didn't know how God's plan was going to be carried out. So humanly speaking, David literally has every reason to go through with this, to kill Saul. He has every excuse for taking matters into his own hands. Hey, after all, it would be accomplishing God's will, wouldn't it? So look at the rest of verse 4. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David approaches Saul. Remember, Saul's relieving himself. David is sneaking up. It says stealthily. He's sneaking up behind Saul, and he pulls out his his blade, his sword. His men are watching. Okay, his men are excited. This is going to be it. No more waiting. Finally, our guy is going to be king, and we can get out of this cave. uh, David draws his blade, and he comes behind Saul, and he cuts off a piece of his robe. And his men are looking, what's going on? What's David doing here? If it's unexpected that David spares Saul's life, verse 5 is even more unexpected. Look at verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, most people in his position, think about it, they would have taken revenge. But David is feeling guilty immediately. It says his heart struck him. He feels guilty for doing what he did, for cutting off a little corner of Saul's robe. Look at verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So why is David's conscience bothering him so much here? He didn't even hurt Saul. Saul didn't, this all happened without Saul even knowing it was happening. Saul gets up and leaves. Not being part of this culture, it's easy for us to just totally miss the significance of this action. To us, it seems harmless. Maybe like sneaking up behind Saul and pinning a, a kick-me sign on his back or something. Right? What's wrong with that? But think back to when Jonathan, if you were with us a few weeks ago, when Jonathan gave David his robe... We talked about the symbolism of the royal robe, and David and Jonathan were such good friends. Remember, Jonathan was the the next in line to be king. 
But he gave his royal robe to David as a gesture, you're going to be the next king, and I'm with you, brother. So cutting off a part of the king's royal robe really is making a statement here. I'm taking your royal authority. And in the Torah, there were requirements for the the corners of one's robe. And so in in, in effect, David is making Saul's robe useless, unwearable. His royal robe, he can't wear it anymore according to uh, the Torah requirements. One commentator, uh, Robert Bergen, said that David here has symbolically invalidated Saul's claim to kingship. And so we see David's tender heart. His heart struck him right after he did this. Just for touching who he calls the Lord's anointed. He repeats the title twice in verse 6. Hey, is Saul out of his mind? Is he a psychopath that's trying to kill David? Yes. Is Saul out of the will of God for his life? Is he acting against God's plan? Yes, but he's still God's, God's anointed king <clears throat> for the moment. And so David says, I better not put my hand out against him, even to touch his robe, even to cut off a corner of his robe, let alone take his life. And his men can't believe it. They're ready. Okay, David, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do it. Let us do it. We're ready. Come on. And it says he had to persuade his own men not to do it either. Stand down. So Saul finishes his business. He walks out of the cave. Now, the text doesn't tell us whether or not he washed his hands. I tend to think he did not, because he's an evil guy. But we're left with David and his men sitting in this silence as this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity just passed. Can you just feel the angst of David's men watching Saul just walk out by himself, unknowingly? The opportunity's gone. Again, most people in David's shoes would have taken this opportunity, but not David. Let's just hear the rest of this scene, what David says here, starting in verse 8. Just just listen to what David says. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the King! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. One commentator writes of David's words here that these are perhaps the most passionate and eloquent plea for reconciliation recorded in all ancient literature. When David could have taken revenge, look what he calls 
Saul, my Lord the King, the Lord's anointed, and even says my Father. Term of great respect. But now David's not being a doormat here. David's not just overlooking what's been happening. Look at verse 12 again. David says, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But, notice this, May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. You see that? He calls on God's justice. David says, Hey, I'm not going to avenge you, but I trust God to take the vengeance. If there's vengeance to be had here, God's going to take care of it, not me. How does Saul respond? Verse 16, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, and, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Saul's weeping here. My son David, what have I done? What have I done? He acknowledges his sin against David. And for the first time ever, he acknowledges, you're going to be the next king. But this isn't real repentance. It doesn't last. Saul's a guy who's just flip-flopping back and forth in the emotion of the moment. He does not have a tender heart like David. He has a hard heart that reminds us of more of Pharaoh in Exodus. Okay, okay, I'll let your people go. Just kidding. What a contrast between these two men. A man after his own heart versus a man after God's heart. David shows us again what it looks like to have faith when we have been wronged. The most difficult of circumstances, most of us, we've all been wronged before, most of us haven't been chased and hunted down by a king. But in all of that, David never forgets who's really on the throne, does he? We've all been tempted to take revenge. And, and even if it's not literal revenge, eye for an eye, then at least we hold on to a grudge, don't we? Our flesh tells us to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to resentment. But David shows us we can be freed from all of that. And this is Old Testament, let's not forget David here is pursuing God's heart. David is keeping his faith when everything in the world is against him. How much more in Christ, in the indwelling spirit, are we enabled, are we freed from the need to go after our enemies, to take revenge against those who have hurt us? See, Jesus calls us not only to not get revenge, but what does Jesus say? Love your enemies. And then Paul picks this up in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Look at verse 19. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, again, just like with David, this isn't just overlooking a serious offense, is it? This isn't just the power of positive thinking. Instead of just ignoring and getting awake from our enemies, Jesus here and Paul's picking up on the commands of Jesus here, actually do good for your enemies. Go out of your way to bless them. Pray for your enemies. And if there's judgment to be given, it's not ours to give. If there's ever burning coals that need to be dropped on somebody's head, God's better at doing that than we are, right? That's above our pay grade. He's the just judge. Any sin against us is ultimately against God. So our creator, he has the right alone to take vengeance. Today again is Pentecost Sunday. What a great place here in this text to remember that while our flesh wants revenge, that's the natural thing. Our flesh wants revenge, but the spirit in us enables us to pursue reconciliation. Taking matters into our own hands is what comes natural to us, but offering forgiveness is supernatural. As believers, we have access to this supernatural, this radical way of loving even our enemies and leaving the judgment to the judge. If you're a parent, how many times have you heard the argument, well, he started it, You ever heard that before? She started it as if that justifies whatever the retaliation is, right? When my kids tell me, hey, my sibling punched me first, my response often is something like, well, now you've both punched each other, so what are we going to do? You've both done wrong now. It's not just kids, is it? We're all guilty of that. We're all prone to the same logic. Well, he started it. We all know two wrongs don't make a right, but that goes against our flesh. What's amazing to me about David here is that he didn't let Saul bring him down to his level. It would have been so easy for David to give in. Saul started it. He threw a spear at me multiple times. He tried to kill me. He told all everybody in the royal court to kill me. He told my best friend to kill me. He started it. It would have been so easy for David to stoop down to Saul's level. But he keeps his eyes on God and he keeps his own heart right. Saul, hey, Saul, you got some sin to deal with. That's between you and God. I'm not going to let your sin change me. I'm not going to let your sin change who I am. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the truth is you don't have access to this kind of supernatural love to share with others. God loves you this way, but you're not enabled to share that. That is supernatural. It's not something we do in our own strength. But you can receive that today by putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. In Jesus, we are not overcome by evil because he is the one who overcame evil. Jesus overcame sin and death. And by believing in him, we can walk in newness of life, which is what we're going to celebrate later in baptism. One of the great things about studying the life of David is that alongside his life story in the books of Samuel, he also wrote so many psalms. 
where sometimes we're given a glimpse of when he wrote a particular psalm and what was going on, and right there we get to see how he processes what he's going through in worship, in praise, in prayer. He brings to God what's on his heart. David wrote Psalm 57 about this time in his life. The heading of Psalm 57 says, When he fled from Saul in the cave. There were a few times David was in a cave, starting in chapter 22 and then again here in 24. But so right during this time or reflecting on it afterward, David wrote the words of Psalm 57. We don't have time to study it together this morning, so I encourage you, take some time this week, meditate on Psalm 57. The same God who enabled David to show mercy to his enemy, David calls out to God and says, show me mercy. And so as we close in prayer this morning, I'm just going to read Psalm 57. If you'd like to turn in your Bible and follow along, you can, or you can just listen. You can close your eyes and just sit in the quiet for a moment. Let David's prayer here be our prayer. Whatever we're facing, whatever is on our hearts, maybe we've been wronged, maybe we're holding resentment against someone and we need to let it go. Maybe we're the one that has wronged someone and we need to make it right. Whatever is on our hearts, let's let these words of David be your prayer. Let's pray together. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to, the, to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. And God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. Let's stand together.